0: Christian Weatherford.
1: And we're here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics.
0: We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to get the most accurate information we can.
1: And we are here, not playing Baldur's Gate 3.
0: It pains me so.
1: So that we can talk to you about animals (laughs) at great personal cost. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And before we get into this week's animals, I did want to mention that we are going to be participating with some of our friends from our Discord in the All for Animals walk at the Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, Washington. That is going to be on Saturday, September 16th. Some folks from the Discord um, have put together a team for people who enjoy this podcast and want to do this uh, really cool zoo fundraiser walk together. So I'll have a link to the page for it in the episode description. And also if you want to discuss details and get in on the conversation and things like that, you can join our discord. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really like that zoo. We've been a couple times now. Mm -hmm. We just went, actually. Like last weekend, I think
0: it was. We did. We got to see the bears real good.
1: Oh, the bears were up so close. They were swimming in the water, and we were like right next to them. And like the bear climbed up on this giant rock and looked very majestic. And I took a picture of the bear, and luckily the bear was like at just the right angle where I could take a picture framed in such a way where you could not see any indication that it was a zoo exhibit around mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. um and so when i sent it to my family they minorly panicked
0: <laughs> that i had encountered this bear
1: outside of a sort of zoo setting
0: mm-hmm, yeah so lesson learned there is uh, don't send family picture of a potentially wild bear and then don't with, don't with, message again hours later <laughs>
1: no further context provided i did not tell anybody i was at the zoo it was just dropped in the group chat and then being the way that i am i did not respond to any further messages that they sent me asking for (laughs) details after that (laughs) so to them it just looked like there was a picture that i had taken of a bear very 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 up close and then no further responses (laughs) so it's a good zoo yes and this week, it's my turn to go first. And this week, I will be talking about the leaf sheep, hmm. scientific name, Costasiella Kuroshimai.
0: Is it either of those things?
1: No, it's neither,
0: actually. (laughs) Closer to a leaf
1: (laughs) than to a sheep in some ways. Well then. Yeah, this is actually a sea slug. Ooh. Yeah, I guess you could call it a leaf sheep sea slug, but leaf sheep is like cute and catchy. Mm -hmm. The species was submitted by Jordan Brown and Ashley Johnson. Thank you both. So if you're not familiar with what I mean when I say the leaf sheep, it is a tiny sea slug covered in speckled green leaf-like protrusions mm. called serrata all over their body. It looks like if a hedgehog was also a succulent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like a hedgehog if they had, like, succulent sort of, like, spines out of their...
0: Grass-type Sonic.
1: Yes. (laughs) Like Shaman from Pokemon. (laughs) Their head also has two long tentacles that kind of look like bunny ears, and then a pair of cartoony black dot eyes right in the middle of Hmm. the tentacles. Interesting. Yeah, it looks kind of silly, actually. Their whole head definitely has a sort of, like, cartoon cow. Almost feels like the, like, Harvest Moon cow, (laughs) like, (laughs) look to it it's very cute it's a very cute little slug, and they are tiny they are typically only about eight millimeters which is about a third of an inch
0: that's very little they're
1: very little hmm. it makes me wonder if if i were to even see one would i even notice it they're so tiny
0: probably not no
1: I definitely have not seen these because they are found off the coasts of Japan, the Philippines, and Indonesia. Okay. And I've never been to those places, so I haven't seen this species. Sure. But they belong to a taxonomic group called Sacoglossa, the Sacoglossan mm. sea slugs. I was devastated to find out that they are not nudibranchs, like I thought they were, because I thought I was going to get a redemption arc by saying nudibranch correctly this time. Well... <laughs> <laughs> in one of our very, very first episodes, I talked about the blue dragon sea slug, which is a nudibranch, but I pronounced nudibranch incorrectly for the entire episode. Well, and so I thought I was going to have a chance to write that wrong today. Not quite, but I'm doing it now. <laughs>
0: self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah, I had to work that in there. But okay, so here's the thing about the taxonomic group that they belong to. Mm-hmm. In terms of like how I'm framing this episode, how I'm setting up this episode... You might imagine yourself a guard at the gates of Troy, and I approach with a gift, a giant wooden sea slug. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. You usher it with a warm welcome into the gates of your ears.
0: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> and then night falls, <laughs> <laughs> and the wooden sea slug opens, and oh no, look what's inside. It's hundreds of other species of sea slug. What? I'm actually going to be talking about all of the sacoglossan sea slugs. Oh, why is that? Because they're all really, really interesting. (laughs) And the traits that are really interesting about the leaf sheep are shared by a lot of the other members of this group. But there are traits in this group that, as far as I know, the leaf sheep doesn't have. Mm. But I can't not talk about them. Okay. Because they're bonkers bananas wild
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and so i didn't want to talk about the leaf sheep and leave all these other cool sack of behind so yeah. i'm using the leaf sheep as kind of like the adorable cute don't you want to learn about it ambassador mm-hmm. it's the trojan horse i see that i'm using to sort of usher in all of these sea slugs see
0: when you said um enter your ears it took a surprising amount of time for me to realize you weren't talking about perhaps an animal that literally finds its way into your ear mm. to release other things
1: no <laughs> <laughs> i meant like because this is a podcast yes and you're listening to yes. it yes it
0: took me a, a while to get there unfortunately.
1: oh i'm sorry about that that's a troubling <laughs> mental image i'm sorry for anyone i did that uh, I, mean, too. I was ready for it so i'm i'm not just going to be talking about the leaf sheep today right i was trying to be dramatic about it i i I, I,
0: i'm there now okay (laughs) we took the journey (laughs) together at least
1: Um, So, yeah, there are nearly 300 species of sacoglossan sea slug with bizarre and fascinating traits that I will be telling you about today. And I did want to also include that another listener, Evan Barclay, actually requested sea slugs of the genus Elysia, which are also sacoglossans and will be featured during this segment because they have their own... Very, very cool stuff going on that the leaf sheep doesn't. So Hmm. I will be talking about that. So starting off, uh, if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, we rate animals out of 10. And the first category is effectiveness, which are physical adaptations. How good are the tools this animal has built into their body that allow them to do the things they're trying to do as an animal? And I'm giving... These sea slugs, a nine out of 10 for effectiveness. It's very good. And the very first thing is probably the thing that this whole group of sea slugs, including the leaf sheep, is most known for. And it's called kleptoplasty.
0: Kleptoplasty.
1: So you may recognize some of those prefixes yes. and suffixes. <laughs> do you remember klepto? To steal. Yes. What about plasty? What do you think the plast is? Tissue? Chloroplast. Huh. They eat algae and algae is full of chloroplasts Mm. so chloroplasts are a type of tiny organelle that allows cells to perform photosynthesis
0: oh okay
1: yes this is typically only found in plant cells and algae which are like kind of like plants but not really plants
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: so chloroplasts allow cells to convert light into energy that's what plants do they're also what give plants their green color right so, some types of sacoglossans like the leaf sheep, they don't just digest the chloroplasts when they eat the algae, but they absorb it into their own body tissue, store it and use it for themselves, hmm. allowing them to actually perform photosynthesis within their own body.
0: Okay, got the solar upgrade.
1: Yes, they have a little a little solar power option. Now, photosynthesis doesn't generate that much energy. It's fine for plants, which don't move. So, they don't need that much <laughs> don't energy. They
0: don't need to circulate blood. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of stuff they don't need to do. So like Extremely
0: they can, low metabolism. Yeah. They can
1: get by on a small amount of energy, but for animals, it's not enough to survive on. Mm-hmm. So, sea slugs seem to really only use it to supplement their regular diet. Hmm. So, some of them feed on algae that seasonally calcifies. During, like, some parts of the year, that algae might not be edible for, like, months at a time. Hmm. So they use photosynthesis to kind of get them by until it's the right season. But it's not clear how they're able to integrate the chloroplasts into their own cells. Because chloroplasts usually need to be, like, hooked up, basically, to, like, specific proteins in their, like, host cell in order to work. It would be like trying to, like, charge your phone with a potato. It's like you don't have anything to hook it up to, right? Like, what what do you do with it? Like, you don't have the right equipment or hardware... You just don't have the right equipment for that. Sure. So there must be some sort of cellular mechanisms that the sea slugs are able to use to not just store, but actually like use the chloroplasts in that way. Like there must be something at the cellular level that they're able to hook up to the chloroplast to let them work that way.
0: I would have guessed it was not so direct. I guess I would have thought the photosynthesis was creating a byproduct that it was then using.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. It may be something like that. But, Hmm. I mean, it seems like they're able to get by on just photosynthesis. Like, some of the papers that I read suggested that there may have been some lateral gene transfer between animals and plants. Wow. Yeah, which would be really interesting. Um, Still something that, like, hasn't really been fully, like, fleshed out in the research yet. I just think it's pretty interesting that they're able to like eat plants and then like gain plant powers. Mm -hmm. Like, that's such a sci fi move, right? Like, (laughs)
0: like
1: Kirby, how like he eats stuff and gains its powers, right? Like, imagine if we could do stuff like that.
0: Uh, What power do you get from peanut butter? (laughs) what if you could
1: like eat sushi and then like be able to breathe underwater (laughs)
0: like
1: that'd be so cool right (laughs) sure um so yeah there's
0: a my hero i could be a person like that by the way
1: which person is that
0: i Um, don't recall his name unfortunately i'm sorry all the his whole thing was eat food do the thing that that animal could do
1: oh that seems largely useless in terms of like eating domesticated animals
0: well it included things like octopus and a little more uh, exotic things
1: i forgot that people eat octopuses yeah that actually makes a lot more sense
0: (laughs) a very minor character in the show i'll say
1: (laughs) Uh, I did want to say that I got all that information from the paper, Functional Chloroplasts in Metazoan Cells, a Unique Evolutionary Strategy in Animal Life. That's by Katharina Handler et al. in Frontiers in Zoology in December of 2009. Hmm. And just if you would allow me a brief detour, because I learned something while reading this and that destroyed my entire brain from the inside out.
0: Mm, I'll allow it, yeah.
1: So chloroplasts in plant cells, they're being stolen by the sea slug in this instance. Mm -hmm. The chloroplasts in plant cells were already stolen to begin with. They originally belonged to a prokaryote, a single-celled organism that does not have a nucleus, that got swallowed by a eukaryotic cell that has like a nucleus. Hmm. I'm talking like billions of years ago. Okay. And... When the eukaryotic cell swallowed the prokaryotic cell, instead of just, like, digesting it and it dissolves and that's the end of it, they formed a symbiotic relationship. Hmm. And, like, the prokaryote became, like, an endosymbiont, I guess. And over time, the rest of the prokaryote just, like, went away and the chloroplast mm. is all that's left of this like ancient symbiotic relationship between two different types of organisms hmm. and left them with a chloroplast. Well then. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was cool. I wanted to mention it.
0: Because I'm, I'm assuming the sea slugs are getting their chloroplasts from the thing it eats. Yes, right? like from this the is algae. not something it's inheriting from its no. parents. Okay.
1: Right. Yeah. They have to eat the algae to okay. get the. And also the chloroplast doesn't live forever inside their body. It mm. can only live for like a few months at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think usually it's around like four to five months, but I saw some papers that said up to ten months. Mm. So they do have to like continually eat algae to like replenish mm-hmm. their chloroplasts. Mm-hmm. They can't just like eat it and then it's part of them forever.
0: Plant queen.
1: <laughs> Slay uh now, in the same vein, I wanted to talk about something else, a different klepto it's called kleptochemistry, and this has actually not been shown in leaf sheep, which is why I wanted to zoom out into like this the sacoglossin group in general mm-hmm. because this is not something shown in leaf sheep but in other types of sacoglossan sea slugs they can actually absorb the chemical defenses of the algae that they eat and use it for themselves to deter their own predators. All right. So these are sea slugs, right? They don't have a big shell to protect them. They're not poisonous or anything like that. They need some way to protect themselves from predators. So they eat algae that has its own chemical deterrence. And then they steal it, kind of like the the blue dragon sea slug that we talked about a long time ago. It like sequesters it in in its own cerata and like uses it for its own defenses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you can't make your own chemical defenses, then store-bought is
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then launch it at your enemies.
1: <laughs> it's not a launching thing. I think it's something that they just, like, keep in their body. And then, like, if something eats them, then they taste bad.
0: I was I was thinking of the um, the blue sea dragon with the... the um, what were what those called? The stinging cells? Oh,
1: the nematocysts. Yeah. Yeah. How, Even that, I think, is the sort of thing where you still have to, like, touch it.
0: But then it, like, kind of, like, launches into the cell from, yeah. like, that touch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just—it seems like uh, sea slugs are really good at like
0: stealing stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love stealing.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna use this.
1: <laughs> you made this. I made
0: this.
1: (laughs) And I got that from a paper called Chemical Defenses in Sacagloss and Epithsabranchs, Taxonomic Trends and Evolutive Implications by Arnaldo Marine and Juan Domenic Rose in Scientia Marina in April of 2004.
0: Evolutive.
1: Evolutive, maybe? Hmm. Evolutive? Evolutive. Interesting. But the green color of the chloroplasts also helps them with camouflage because it turns their body green and helps them blend in with like the algae that they're eating.
0: Is that where they're hanging out usually?
1: Yeah. They're kind of like grazing on the oh, okay. algae, so they're kind of hanging out around oh, is, it.
0: is this where the actual sheep part comes into play? Is, yeah. Because so far I was like, none of this sounds sheep-like. <laughs> they do kind
1: of like hang out on like algae and seaweed and stuff, and it looks like they're mm. just kind of like peacefully grazing. Very sheep-like. I got it. And the last thing for that I wanted to talk about for effectiveness is also something that is not shown in the leaf sheep specifically, but it it has been identified in different photosynthetic sacoglossan species in the genus Elysia, so the one that listener Evan had requested, actually. A 2021 study identified extreme autotomy in sea slugs. Do you remember the word autotomy? We've talked about it before.
0: This is where you can... Drop a tail and grow it back. Yes. Yes.
1: I was going to say welcome to pop quizzing Christian hour. <laughs> yes, it is that. So, autonomy is the ability to intentionally discard an appendage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, such as when a lizard drops their tail, just like you said. So, the sea slugs in this study were able to detach. What do you think I'm about to say next?
0: Is it their head? Their head, yes. I feel like I might have heard of this before.
1: They can fully
0: <laughs>
1: rip their own head off and just abandon the rest of their body
0: it's quite the power move
1: like like a mech pilot hitting eject <laughs> <laughs> and just completely separating from the rest of their entire body
0: well, huh what what part are they trying to leave behind
1: the all of it the whole thing they leave the whole thing behind the body yes all of it <laughs>
0: but so the head continues on yes okay
1: so it seems there's some really interesting stuff going on here so i'll i'll read a quote from the paper
0: (laughs) technically speaking (laughs) they're detaching their body well (laughs) yes
1: so here's the quote they say surprisingly they shed the main body including the whole heart and regenerated a new body in contrast the shed body did not regenerate the head Okay. So they can't just do this to like reproduce, right? They can't just mm-hmm. split themselves and some some types of worms can do that, but they can't do this, right? Now here's another thing. The researchers also noticed that this process consistently occurred at a groove that runs across the sea slug's neck. So the researchers suggested that this is actually a predetermined breakage plane. Mm. Like, to me, it reminds me of those old plastic Kool-Aid bottles.
0: (laughs) You know what I'm talking about?
1: They had the notch at the top where you were supposed to just like snap it off. Sure. There's like a spot where you're supposed to snap it off, right?
0: (laughs) Perforated. Yeah, they have a perforated head,
1: I guess. But this is kind of a strange process because it happens in the exact same spot, so it looks like they're ready to go. They're pre-built, ready to abandon body at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. But the whole process of splitting their head off from their body takes, like, multiple hours. Oh. It's not something that they just, like, yoink and then are done with, right? It's So it's it doesn't seem to be helpful for escaping a predator the way hmm. that a lizard would drop their tail, right?
0: Right. Because
1: if it's going to take you hours to do, whatever's trying to eat you has already eaten you <laughs> at that point.
0: Unless you're like escaping a sea urchin or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, some of the
0: things, some of the things that might help
1: with. But what the researchers believed it's actually used for is to rid the body of parasites. So all of the sea slugs in the study had parasites before decapitating themselves mm. and then didn't have any once they regenerated their body.
0: I see. So it seems
1: like a hard reset on the entire body, just to factory settings, like huh. just power cycle the whole body, I guess. <laughs> I
0: wonder what the mechanism is of how to send a signal to, to start that process.
1: I don't know because, you know, they don't have any other, like, behaviors that they can do to rid themselves of parasites. You know, they don't have any hands... <laughs> Or, like, some, you know, fish might jump out of the water to knock parasites off or something, but they can't do that. Mm -hmm. Now, this study specified internal parasites. Okay. So it seems like something where the slug's body is able to, like, sound an alarm, be like, hey, it's not going so good, abandon ship. (laughs)
0: Well, that makes me wonder, is it something that it chooses to do or if it's more just a, a bodily reaction to it? Like, right. Like how you, th- like if you, if you eat something nasty enough, you throw up. Like you don't decide to throw up. It right. just happens. Well,
1: based on what I know <laughs> about sea slugs, I don't think they decide to do anything.
0: <laughs> Ever. <laughs> right.
1: I think it's just like a reflex, you know? I think mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, oh no, here I go. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you get that tingly feeling and then, like, oh about to lose my body
1: <laughs> i gotta find a <laughs> toilet
0: <laughs> i gotta wrap up my errands
1: <laughs> oh and it's kind of suck that like they do that and then they lose all their chloroplasts that they had been like working so hard to mm-hmm. build up in their body now they gotta start all over again
0: fresh f- fresh slate new new body new me
1: (laughs) um and by the way the paper i got all that from is called extreme autotomy and whole body regeneration in photosynthetic sea slugs by sayaka mito and yoichi yusa that was in current biology in march of 2021 Hmm. so you see why i couldn't read this paper title at the beginning of the episode because it gives you every piece of information i'm going to talk about yeah 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 yeah. (laughs)
0: Great for research papers, not great for podcasts. No, I have to build suspense (laughs) and tension
1: and a narrative. Oh, also in that paper, there are pictures of the entire process. Oh. So you can see, like, the little sea slug when it's just a head (laughs) with a nub. And then, like, you can see it regrow its entire body in photos. It's, It's really, really cool. Hmm. So that wraps up effectiveness. They just they have a lot of tools in their kit, right? Like mm-hmm. they're able to make it work. Even though slow and soft, they are able to compensate for some of their weaknesses mm-hmm. in some really fascinating ways. So this brings me to ingenuity for solar-powered sea slugs, <laughs> which ingenuity for the purposes of our podcast is behavioral adaptations, things things the animal is doing with their body to gain an advantage or solve problems they face. I'm giving this one what I think is a generous two out of ten. Yeah. I don't, this just.
0: They sound like they're along for the ride.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's just not a lot happening there. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just eat plant. That's all they got (laughs) happening in that little noggin in there. Uh, I found a 2021 BBC travel article by Rena Diane Caballar, or possibly Caballar, in which diver and photographer Genevieve Reyes said, quote, Leaf sheep don't hide or retract when they feel your presence. They have a routine life, circling the leaf of an algae and grazing about in their own little world. Mm. So it sounds like they don't really respond to like... Stuff around them, they're just unbothered.
0: (laughs) Now, do they lack the processing ability to, or the sensory input? (laughs) Right, like is it well? So they.
1: They do have some sensory input. So Mm. I mentioned that they have these little, like, bunny ears on their head. Mm -hmm. Those are actually called rhinophores, which are chemoreceptors. So they're, like, antenna almost. Like, they're more for, like, detecting chemicals in the water around them. Okay. So they do have that, and they have eyes, just very, you know, simple eyes. So, I I mean, I don't know if it's that they know that you're there or that they just don't care. Like
0: It's probably they just don't know you're there. (laughs) No, they just... (laughs)
1: unbothered, focused, flourishing, in their lane, moisturized.
0: Besides themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I have to give that. I think the two
1: points I gave them are for, they get points for minding their business, I think. Okay. And the final category that we rate animals on is aesthetics. And for aesthetics, I'm giving uh, all of these slugs a 10 out of 10. Every single one of them. No skips in this group. Okay. Every single one is a banger. The leaf sheep is the cutest thing in the world. It's so adorable. In the BBC Travel article that I mentioned earlier, it was mentioned that divers often refer to the sleep sheep as quote, Sean the Sheep, due to the slug's resemblance to the animated sheep. Sean the Sheep. Have you ever seen? I think it's by the same like people that did Wallace and Gromit. Oh,
0: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, that okay. little
1: like claymation like animated yes. sheep. Yeah, it looks a lot like that. The I face see. is very reminiscent of Sean the Sheep. I see. It's giving Sean <laughs> <Shaun> the Sheep. <laughs> but then other sacoglossans outside of the leaf sheep are also equally stunning. Actually, the specific type of slug that Evan requested, Elysia chlorotica, is. A stunner. They're gorgeous. Their whole body looks like a bright green leaf and it's complete with veins. It has these like veins oh, and grooves. Veins. Okay, yes. Yes, yes. It's beautiful and they have these like gorgeous like white speckles. I'm going to pull up a picture real quick so that you can see because I think you should see how beautiful this slug is. Look.
0: Wow. That is very leaf-like.
1: Isn't it? But like better than a leaf, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because they do that sort of like undulating swimming movement where like that's true they look kind of ribbony Mm -hmm. which is really really cool for me um so i feel like they're just like a step up from a leaf very which, like, good. leaves are already pretty cool. <laughs> now, this is where we usually wrap up with conservation information. I cannot find any information that, like, specifically pertains to the current conservation status of, like, sacoglossan and sea slugs. I found a paper that, like, modeled what they might be going through and, like, what climate change might do to them, which is not good. It's never good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's never great. So being marine species who rely on algae and photosynthesis to survive, I have to kind of assume that they're susceptible to things like climate change in the ocean, like the changing acidification of the ocean, um, and issues like algae imbalances, right? When you get like, I don't know, like red tide and stuff like that, or nutrient runoff and hypoxia really throws the whole ocean out of whack. So I guess just be nice to the ocean or the adorable little leaf sheep sea slug uh, gets it. (laughs)
0: just add another reason onto the pile of
1: (laughs) of
0: being good ocean stewards
1: i'm holding the sea slugs hostage (laughs) the sea slugs will be imperiled until morale improves (laughs) and that is it was the leaf sheep but is also the solar powered sea slugs very good let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the max fun network and then we'll get to christian's animal I'm Emily Heller and I'm Lisa Walt and we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses
0: We've been doing our podcast for over 10 years When we started it was about trying to learn something new every episode now it's about us trying to actively get stupider and it's working <laughs> Hang out with us and you'll hear us chat about
1: gardening horses various problems with our butts and all the weird stuff that makes us horny That's so weird all that stuff. <laughs> Baby Geniuses, a show for adult idiots, every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, we know everything. Baby Geniuses, tell us something we don't know.
0: The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is. Great. Here! The Brit with a permit to hit, Lindsay Kell! The Queen is dead! Long live the Queen! And the fast-talking, fist-clocking, Hal Upland! See, I can wrestle and be an announcer! Get ready for tights and fight! Listen every Saturday or face the pain! Find us on Maximum Fun! Now ring the bell!
1: Alright, my love, what animal do you have for us this week?
0: This week I'll we'll be talking about the basilisk lizard.
1: I'm excited about this. This is great. This is one of those creatures that's always been like on the fringes of my like knowledge, where yes. I'm like aware of their existence, but I have nothing else on them.
0: Yep, so that is genus basiliscus, also known as the Jesus Christ lizard. Love that. Yes. Touch on that soon.
1: I'm sure no one hates that. <laughs> I'm sure nobody gets upset about that.
0: Listener Eric had submitted the specific species, the common basilisk, um, but I decided to zoom out to the genus.
1: Sure. Thank you, Eric.
0: Yes, thank you. So a lot of what I'm talking about might be specific to specific species versus uh, common in all of them. And I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, National Zoo at the Smithsonian, and National Geographic. Nice. So first, they are lizards. So uh, quadrupedal, long, long tails... Very lizard-like, if you're familiar with the lizard blueprint. <laughs>
1: you know how lizards are.
0: <laughs>
1: this is the Platonic ideal of a lizard. You may not like it, but this is what a lizard looks like. <laughs>
0: sure. Now, these lizards, their coloration ranges from brown to olive or green. Females have a smaller crest on their head, whereas males have a more pronounced head crest and also a crest that runs down the back and tail.
1: Now, what is this crest? look like what's the crest situation
0: the head crest reminds me of some kinds of chameleons a little bit
1: oh like a cask moment yes
0: yes and then the parts on the back and tail are kind of spiny Mm, that's pretty cool yeah Uh, their size is up to 800 millimeters or two and a half feet approximately
1: there has to be a better way of saying it than 800 millimeters eight centimeters there we go
0: <laughs> <laughs> i hope i said that right that's that sounds right no no it doesn't wait hold on that's 80 centimeters <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: i was about to say like that's not two feet <laughs> eight centimeters is not two feet
0: <laughs> anyway Now, 75% of that length is tail, however. Oh, it's mostly tail going (laughs) on then. So it's a
1: little guy with a big tail.
0: Yes. They can be found in Mexico, Central America, and South America, and they are considered semi-arboreal and semi-aquatic, usually found near water.
1: Very near water. One might say (laughs) adjacent to, and in fact, (laughs) (laughs) abutting.
0: They belong to the taxonomic family. Oh, boy. Let's hear it. Coritofanity.
1: That was great. That was so good.
0: That's the helmeted iguanas slash basilisks and the head iguanas. So that you used the word cask earlier. That's a great word. I like that <laughs> word a lot. Yes.
1: It's a great word to use to make it sound like you know special science words. Mm,
0: you convinced me. <laughs> it worked <laughs> on you. <laughs> So I mentioned there are other species. There are four species in the genus. And that's the common basilisk, western basilisk. The plumed basilisk, which I noted down its species name because I thought it was interesting. So the plumed basilisk species name is plumifrons.
1: Plumifrons? Yes. That's a pretty name. <laughs> I like that.
0: And lastly, the brown basilisk. Getting into our first category, I'm giving it an 8 out of a 10 for f- effectiveness.
1: That's pretty good.
0: Yes. So first, they're very good climbers. As might be suggested by being semi-arboreal. Well, yeah, I would hope so. Arboreal being living in trees.
1: I'd hope they'd be able to climb. How else are you going to get up there? <laughs> Ride use the their, eagles.
0: <laughs> they use their dragon wings. <laughs> uh, so they have these long digits with claws at the end right. on their on their hands and feet. Is that That's probably not the correct way to describe their limbs. but. <laughs> and next is they're very good swimmers.
1: Mm, when they're in the water. Yes.
0: They can stay submerged for 10 plus minutes, actually.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah,
0: so they're good swimmers. That's better than me. And now, finally, the keystone of this animal. Yeah, the thing you all want to hear about. (laughs) So earlier I mentioned...
1: (laughs) Everybody was sitting here like, yeah, yeah, Christian, they can climb, they can swim.
0: Earlier I mentioned they're known as the Jesus Christ lizard.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's expand on that a little bit.
0: And that is because something that they're known for doing is walking on water. So, in the Christian Bible, specifically the New Testament, the main character Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is
0: that a, is that a no? Uh, no, is you're it, good. It's okay. Keep going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist. <laughs>
0: In the Bible, one of the things Jesus does is walks on water. I think this is told in a couple books of the New Testament, actually.
1: Mm. It's in there for sure. Yeah, it's It's in in there. there. It's in there. It's a whole thing where like there's (laughs) a storm going on, right?
0: Well, the the boat was like, because it it was on an island. Mm -hmm. I I looked at this very briefly. (laughs) I'm not a religious person at all. Um it was on an island, and he's it's the the boat basically went off without him because mm-hmm. he wanted to stay behind by himself, and then the boat got caught in a storm, but. He was like, I'll just walk, fam. (laughs) He found the boat. And when he got to the boat, the storm went away. This is one of the the miracles. Right, right, right. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why it's called the Jesus Christ lizard. So back to the lizard. Yes. This one can walk on water.
1: Tell me about that.
0: It can run about four and a half meters or 15 feet across water on its hind legs before sinking and continuing to swim.
1: How far did you say?
0: 15 feet.
1: 15 feet. Yes. That is like seven or eight of its body lengths right <laughs> double checking it's like uh, two feet long yeah sure huh that is a considerable um, i couldn't do that oh no
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: i could walk zero of my body lengths across water
0: so what it has that it enables it to do it well first it has large hind feet mm-hmm. Uh with toe pads that helps with it That kind of splay out the force
1: Oh, toe pads. Yes. Oh, interesting. Because, like, you see splayed toe pads. In other species of lizards where it's used more for grip, like geckos and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it sounds like they have the splayed toe pads, but it's to, like, distribute their weight rather than, like, right. increase their surface area. Or Well, uh, I guess it's still increasing their surface area, but just for, like, a different application.
0: Right. And so I want to dig into the physics of what's going on for a little bit. So just to draw a picture of what this looks like. This looks like a lizard that is normally on all fours all of a sudden books it. <laughs> From the land into the water, and when it reaches the water, or perhaps before then, it switches to a bipedal gait. <laughs> so it's running on its hind legs with its, with its front legs kind of like up. They go into attack in. mode. <laughs> Just get them out of the way. And then it starts running on the back hind legs.
1: Oh, so the front legs are not involved with this at all. Not at all. Nope. Okay.
0: They're out of the picture for this part.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Merely a hindrance.
0: Yeah. So, the stepping into the water has three phases. The slap, the stroke, and the recovery. Okay. I'm going to just read a quote from a paper. Okay. To explain this next part. During the slap phase of a step, the foot plunged vertically downwards, pushing water down and away from the foot. While creating an air pocket surrounding the foot.
1: What?
0: So I'm going to stop there. In the yeah. quote. There's more to it. Okay. I'm going to stop there. So a good example of this, I think, is if you were to take your hand and close your fingers and make a cup shape with your hand Mm -hmm. and then you slap the surface of water
1: Mm, it makes a little bubble inside your hand
0: and then usually you you hear a a big sound when that bubble collapses on itself right yeah we've done this at the pool yes Uh, every time (laughs) every time (laughs) finley loves this he does it's very funny (laughs) so that's that's what i'm imagining here during the stroke the foot remained within this air pocket as water was pushed away from the ventral side of the foot and circulated cranially toward the dorsum. As the foot transitioned into the recovery phase, a vortex ring was shed, representing a transfer of momentum into the fluid. The foot was extracted from the water before the air pocket collapses. So it's it's pushing down
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then it's stroking back. Okay. And then it yanks the foot out of the pocket.
1: Oh, without popping the bubble? Right. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. So it's it's almost like they're using the bubble to walk on, not the water itself.
0: The importance of the bubble is more has to do with not getting caught by a drag. Oh, Okay. So the slap is giving it upward momentum to keep mm-hmm. it above the surface of the water. And then the stroke is giving it forward momentum to I keep see. moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then what it's doing when it yanks it out, it closes all the digits and pulls it out of the pocket mm. that is already starting to collapse, but it pulls the foot out before it touches any of the water. Oh, I see. Yeah.
1: Okay, so it's getting out of there really really quick before mm-hmm. physics can realize that what it's doing. <laughs> and
0: then it just does that over and over again.
1: Interesting.
0: And then it gains some side to side stability by maybe splaying the f- the foot outward from its body just to compensate for like a side to side falling motion.
1: It's very goofy. It is. Yeah. It's very silly looking. And it's
0: a huge amount of energy that has to that has to be done there.
1: It's very Monty Python, silly walk, (laughs) sort of like windmilling their feet around. It is hilarious.
0: Now, I got that quote and information from the paper titled, Running on Water, Three-Dimensional Force Generation by Basilisk Lizards by Hesia and Lauder in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences Journal in the year 2004. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Huh. I thought it was just that their like, feet distributed their weight in such a way that it just didn't break the surface tension of the water.
0: Part of it, I That's think. That's part of it? I think. Yeah. Well, what's strange is not anywhere in that paper mentioned surface tension. Right. Which I thought maybe is not involved, or are we just saying the same thing and just not using the same phrase? I, I wasn't sure. It was mm. a little bit beyond me.
1: Sure. Because there are other animals that are able to like chill out. On right. the surfaces of water, but they're not anywhere near as heavy as like a lizard, right?
0: And those can stay motionless basically on, yeah, the, yeah, on the yeah. surface tension. Yeah. Like
1: the pond skaters yes. and the we, we've been seeing so many of these bugs while yeah. while we've been here in Washington. Mm-hmm. They just like hang out on top of the water and they're so light that they just don't sink into the water at all. Right.
0: So I'm thinking it it has less to do with surface tension and more to do with just being able to generate enough force in the up and forward kind of vectors uh-huh. and then avoiding getting dragged down by the water.
1: Interesting.
0: Um, now of course that's very energy intensive and they they lose it eventually, right? And right. At, that, at that point they just swim.
1: It's just not sustainable. <laughs> I'm wondering did you happen to come across why on earth they bother to do this instead yes. of just swimming in the first place?
0: I'll mention it in ingenuity.
1: Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> My next point here is just says Naruto reference and highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> And what's that about was uh, a notable thing in naruto is all the ninjas are able to walk on water all of them uh, it's, it's, it's one of those early abilities that are like oh man we just spent weeks learning how to do this and then from that point forward pretty much everyone they meet knows how to do it so like, <laughs> like it's nothing <laughs> it's like a level one spell <laughs>
1: yeah well thank you for meeting our naruto reference quote mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. day thank you i appreciate
0: anytime, that anytime uh so my next thing is they're known for sleeping up high So they sleep up in trees around 20 meters above the ground. They are diurnal, which means they are awake during the day. Right. Uh, So if something tries to pick them off at night when they're sleeping, they will just book it out of the tree. And if they're close enough, into the water. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That has to be so disorienting for like any predator, because like when you see something falling into the water, you have sort of an idea of like what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. and like what direction you need to look in. (laughs) <laughs> and just them like bolting across the surface is do- probably doesn't really register on like your list of expectations. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to mention is uh, they are omnivorous, they feed on arthropods, small lizards, snakes, birds, mammals, fishes, freshwater shrimps, frogs, flowers, and fruits.
1: This is very lizard behavior. Mm hmm.
0: So, we, you know, we always notice that the animals with a, a high number of things it can eat are, mm-hmm. is less likely to have problems with finding food, right?
1: Right, right, right.
0: Moving on to the second category of ingenuity. I'm giving you a four out of ten. Couldn't really find Four? <laughs> yeah, couldn't really find much here. There uh, has to be
1: something to be said for the fact that they have, like, figured out that they can use physics to basically, they found this sort of, like, no-clip hack.
0: <laughs> it just run fast. <laughs> So
1: fast, in fact, <laughs> that physics can't keep up with you.
0: And as you've already, I think you already came to the conclusion of it, it it's running across the water to escape predators. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but like what I'm wondering is, like you mentioned, it's very energetically expensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why bother? It's
0: faster than swimming. Oh, it is faster than yes. swimming? Oh, okay. It is, okay. yeah. They're good swimmers, but the running is faster. Oh, okay. And then they'll, so they'll run across the water as much as they can. Usually the smaller lizards are able to go further because it, it becomes a scaling problem with the larger the thing is the oh. the the energy output it grows much much higher right. much faster <laughs> like for us uh for something for someone like a human to be able to do this the the energy output would be about six times greater than Jeez. what we're able to do <laughs> I feel
1: like I may have do you remember that show on animal planet the most extreme <laughs> yes I feel like I have something in my brain I don't know if I'm making it up or not but I feel like they may have done One of those like CGI dude visualizations on the most extreme. You remember how they would take this green CGI dude and like mess his body up to like make whatever trait of his like scale proportionally with like that of whatever animal they're talking about? Right, right. I feel like there's one where they gave him feet like proportional to (laughs) what a basilisk's feet are like, and they look like
0: boat oars or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um so it's, it's a you know a classic problem of uh, you know the bigger something is the stronger it is but then it's it has it's having to work harder against things like gravity
1: true the harder they fall
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, you'll often hear things about like oh the, the beetle can lift 100 times its weight right Mm -hmm. you never find anything that can do that that's larger than a cat it's a scaling (laughs) issue
1: (laughs) (laughs) it reminds me of i've seen videos of like people that like develop video games and stuff they'll have Mm -hmm. like a 3d model of like some i don't know character creature or something like that and if you scale their size up they will just continue, like, walking at the same speed. Oh, yeah, But, like, even if they're, like, the size of a skyscraper, which is extremely (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And so they say that, like, when you scale it up, you have to also scale down their speed because, like, you just can't move that fast at that large of a size. There was
0: a ratio to that. Um, I forget what it was, though.
1: I saw a video where they, like, scaled up the assets without scaling the speed. It's (laughs) hilarious.
0: Yeah. And then, finally, aesthetics. Um... It's very regular lizard looking. you a 6 out of 10.
1: I like how this is like otherwise a completely unremarkable lizard except (laughs) for like this one thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's an impressive thing, I'll say. Yeah. Um,
1: If you're going to have one thing, like if you're, it's like a gimmick lizard. It's like you're going to have a gimmick. It's it's a good one to have.
0: (laughs) And now some just fun miscellaneous things to talk about. Yes, please. So the first one, conservation status, all four species are least concerned oh. with IECM. All right. Yeah. Yep. They're outrunning <laughs> extinction. <laughs> Dang it. I was about to say I, I, I had it right here. I'm sorry. I know.
1: It's let the record show. <laughs> <laughs> let me just
0: type something unrelated real quick. <laughs> and then the next thing we'll talk about is the relation to mythology because the name Basilisk, you might recognize from uh, old mythology tales. Right. Uh, in mythology, a basilisk is a crested snake hatched from an egg laid by a rooster but incubated by a toad. It's one of those things.
1: Now, which mythology is this? I don't
0: know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw Pliny. Pliny? Pliny. Pliny the Elder? Yes. That, he was that, Roman. Okay. <laughs> he was mentioned at one point. Oh, Lord. Um, they were said to possess strong venom and a death glare, meaning if you like looked them in the eye, you would die or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think... Did they turn you to stone if you... This is
0: where it gets complicated. Okay. <laughs> that's the problem it, it with mythology. It evolved a yeah,
1: lot. Yeah, it changes over time.
0: Now, the the name comes from the Greek basiliskos, which means little king.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I actually like that. That's kind of
0: cool. Short king. <laughs> Uh, D&D does have a basilisk, but in there it's depicted as a stocky, eight-legged lizard that's very large.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and that turns things into stone.
1: Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking of then.
0: Well, I, in parts of mythology, it, it kind of morphed into the the, the stone or petrification thing. Sure. And in D and D, what it does, or the way they describe it, because this is just flavor text, really. <laughs> so it uses that vision to turn something into stone, mm-hmm. and then it u- and it bites off chunks of the stone victim, and then in its stomach, that stone turns back into organic matter. Stop! Oh my god, <laughs> that's disgusting.
1: Someone needs to check on whoever wrote that <laughs> the SRD. Yeah.
0: And then the last media thing, uh, another uh, very popular depiction was in Harry Potter.
1: This is where I'm a blank canvas. I got nothing on this.
0: So in Harry Potter, and this is the second book and movie Mm -hmm. uh, where it depicts a basilisk as basically a very large snake um, whose gaze can kill if looked at directly and if indirectly they are petrified. And the way they, they showed petrification was not turned to stone, but basically just paralyzed. But Cowards. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, that's a big plot point. And I, technically a spoiler, actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry for
1: spoiling this thing that came out, what, 20 years ago?
0: So that's the Basilisk Lizards.
1: Very interesting. Thank you, Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they gave such a cool name to such like an otherwise middle of the road lizard
0: yeah i don't know <laughs> man <laughs>
1: like cuz like i wonder what made them decide to apply that name to this lizard like i don't i don't know of any parallels between
0: i've seen some mythology descriptions uh give the the basilisk like a A rooster-shaped head, Mm. so maybe the cask part of the lizard, maybe. Oh, maybe
1: maybe an aesthetic thing. Yeah, interesting. You think the first like person studying these lizards was like, "Oh, it's just a normal lizard." Oh my god, what is it doing? (laughs) Uh,
0: I I just, I don't know how this. Where are you going? I mean, obviously, someone made all this up, right? (laughs) Because from a thousand years ago, and then then people keep finding them in bestiaries or whatever. What's happening here? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we can kind of explain the prevalence of dragons in lots of cultures, right? I but don't...
1: even that, I feel like the prevalence of dragons in lots of like mythologies is only because we use the word dragon to mm-hmm. describe like any sort of like large reptile in mythology. Sure. Whereas like otherwise no, they they're not really as similar as we think, but we use the same word for them. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like yeah, you might have a giant serpent, right? Like in multiple mythologies. But like that's because there's serpents all over the world. Like <laughs> they see what's around them and incorporate it in their into their like mythology. Right. So you know, like the dragons of like European mythology are extremely different from the dragons of like Asian or Mesoamerican mythology. So it's just because we want to like put them all into like the dragon category because mm-hmm. that's what we have a word for. I'm I'm a little fired up about this because recently, like people have been like all in my TikTok notifications, like the dinosaurs were actually dragons.
0: <laughs> I'm already mad about it. DreamWorks presents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, well, thank you, my love. That was great. Thanks. And thank you, dear listener, for spending this time with us. We dearly appreciate you and are so glad, and I hope you have had fun and learned something with us here today. If you did have fun and learned something new here today, I would love it if you left a kind review for us on your podcast app of choice. We really appreciate it. We read all of those when people uh, leave nice words for us, just like it's me, Jake, 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 who is one of the people who have recently left us a very kind review that says, quote, a joyful podcast that is sure to please any animal or nature lover, no matter their age. Ellen and Christian are great hosts, conveying their appreciation for all kinds of animals through science and amazing facts. So thank you. It's me, Jake, 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 Jake. (laughs) Very nice. And if you want to hang out with us online, we are on Facebook, Instagram, uh, particularly active on Discord, and I am on TikTok. So those are all places where you can come hang out with us on the internet. If you have an animal you want to hear us talk about on the show, you can send that to me. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. We would like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network. And if you want to learn more about the network and their shows and how you can can be a part of supporting our show you can head over to maximumfun.org and finally we'd like to thank louis zong for our song of the summer theme music
0: how many summers in a row now uh when did <laughs> we bought it <laughs> it was in 2021
1: so it's two years strong all right yeah so that's all for this week thanks y'all thank you bye
0: Goodbye.